Welcome to Walking Together, a podcast all about encouraging each other as we follow Jesus together. I'm your host, Dennis Lavelle. Let's start walking. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and every Saturday night, my dad would go over and polish up his sermon for the next morning. And to give him some quiet time, he would send me to the basement, which is where my grandmother was living at the time. And so every Saturday night, me and Grandma would eat frozen TV dinners together, and we would watch Lawrence Welk and Hee Haw. And in the second letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessaloniki, he addresses an issue that was happening inside the church. And basically, Hee Haw had a song that described the problem pretty well. Let's see if you remember it. Now, we don't go around spreading rumors. Because really, we're just not the gossiping kind. You'll never hear one of us repeating gossip, so you'd better be sure and listen close the first time. (laughs) Well, in chapter 3, verse 11, he says the word has gotten back to him that that church, that they've become lazy, not really doing anything for the Lord, and they're sticking their noses into each other's business. And he, in essence, tells them, to stay in their own lane. And then he says, you need to get busy doing things that actually matter. And he encourages them not to get tired in doing good. Now, here's the thing. If we're constantly engaged in doing good, we can, after a while, get physically, emotionally, and even spiritually drained. But thankfully, we have several examples in the Bible of people who were so engaged in doing good that they lost focus of the bigger picture. They got caught up in their own little world, and portions of their lives, decisions, and actions serve as red flags for us. Now, when we watch the evening news, we take for granted that we have satellites which monitor the atmospheric conditions where we are. They give us warnings of approaching storms. But what about storm warnings for our mind and heart? Well, they're best provided by the people who have actually faced similar emotional storms. And one of the most recognizable people who got overwhelmed by doing good was Moses. In Numbers chapter 11, and you can take the time to read verses 1 through 15 later, but we see that the whining and ingratitude of God's people displeased the Lord. And their displeasure caught on like wildfire. And Moses became irritated, not just with the people, but with God. And God was displeased because of their sin of unbelief. But Moses became emotionally flattened because of all the griping by the people. And despite the fact that they had been privileged with God's miraculous leading, the children of Israel had done nothing but complain since they left Egypt. God gave them manna to eat, but they griped about the menu and the fact that they had to pick it up every day. He even gave them the weekend off from gathering manna, but they grumbled about that too. And the trip to the promised land that had begun as an adventure with God had deteriorated into a nightmare for Moses. And they were like two million whiny backseat drivers. And they complained and complained until Moses was ready to pull the cart off to the side of the road and call it quits. I remember as a kid, 
If Dad pulled the car off to the side of the road, <laughs> we were in big trouble. Now, think about what has happened up to this point. Physically, Moses was exhausted. He's in the middle of the desert with millions of people who are literally griping about everything. Beyond that, he tried to do all the work as a judge himself. Jethro, his father-in-law, actually warned him about taking too much on himself. And if you read verse 16, it seems like he was doing the work of 70 people. Now, emotionally, he felt so burdened and weighed down. He was suffering from feelings of inferiority. In verse 14, he says, I'm not able to bear all this people alone because it's too heavy for me. And he was absolutely convinced he couldn't do it alone. And he was right, but he tried to do it anyway. And spiritually, his relationship with God had suffered. He was consumed with his work instead of his God. And in verse 11, he actually blames God for his workload. So what was Moses' solution? Well, God, if you're going to treat me like this, just kill me now. We see that in verse 15. But what was God's solution? Hey, buddy, back off, slow down, and delegate the work. You're doing the work of 70 people. And this would allow him to regain the proper perspective that the Lord alone was responsible for the people's growth and well-being. Well, the second example today is Elijah. Again, I encourage you to read some verses after you finish this podcast. Read 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 18. And Elijah, just like Moses, wanted to give up because physically, he was just totally wiped out. He was exhausted. He had been through three years of famine. He had faced 450 prophets of Baal in a day-long confrontation. He had missed several meals and sleep and been in intense prayer. He had been up and down Mount Carmel twice, and he made a 30-mile run to Jezreel, outracing Ahab's chariot. Then he received a death threat and fled for his life to Beersheba, and then he traveled another day's journey into the wilderness. So physically, he was beat. And emotionally, he was suffering from a martyr's complex. Read verse 10. He says, I'm all alone. And if you go back to the previous chapter in chapter 18, verse 22, he makes the same statement. I'm all alone. Then it says that there were 450 prophets of Baal. So the math is easy. He now sees the odds as 450 to 1. And that will overwhelm you emotionally, for sure. In chapter 19, verse 4, he makes it clear that he feels unequal to the task at hand. So emotionally, he didn't think he could do it. And he was suffering from that martyr's complex. How about spiritually? Well, he was just scared. In the preceding verse, he runs because he's afraid. And up to that moment, Elijah had kept his eyes on the Lord. But now... They were on his enemy. So what was Elijah's remedy? Well, the same as Moses's. Just kill me. What was God's remedy? He fed him and let him rest. Read it. Chapter 19, 
verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. There were no long preachy sermons, no motivation by guilt, just, hey, Elijah, you need a good meal and some rest. Now get up and eat some more. Now go sleep some more. (laughs) And God reminded him that he wasn't alone. And God gave him a friend, Elisha, who would minister to him. Now, one more example before I close out today's podcast is Jonah. Now, strangely enough, the event that led to Jonah's depression was the repentance of an entire city of Nineveh. Where was Jonah at physically, emotionally, and spiritually? Well, physically, just like Moses and Elijah, he was dead tired, completely exhausted. He began running from God and boarded a ship in the opposite direction. He was then thrown overboard in a stormy sea. He spent three days in the belly of a giant fish. He was regurgitated on dry land. And it took him three days to walk the length of the city. And then, don't miss this, he preached forgiveness to a people he hated. And Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and was one of the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, and most idolatrous empires in the world. And they had done God's people harm. And Jonah didn't think the Ninevites were worthy of God's grace. And at the end of Jonah, chapter 4, God rebukes Jonah. And God said, Jonah, there's 120,000 people in that city. Don't you think they need a chance to hear the good news? And that's the way the book ends. And we don't get a response from Jonah. But I have my suspicions that had his answer been recorded, it would have been a resounding no. So physically, he was completely drained. Emotionally, he was furious with God for not bringing judgment on a people that he despised. He had a superiority complex. And this was nothing more than ethnic pride. Nobody else deserves God's grace but me and my countrymen. Spiritually, his relationship with God was blocked by resentment. And God poses a question to him in verse 4 of chapter 4. Hey, Jonah, do you think you really have any right to be angry? And instead of answering the question, he builds himself a shelter outside Nineveh to get a front row seat to see how God is going to wipe out the city. I mean, that's what he's expecting and hoping for. So what was Jonah's solution for his problem? See if this sounds familiar. God, just kill me. Read it, chapter 4, verse 8. That was Jonah's remedy. But what was God's remedy? God uses truth in verse 11 to try and bring him out of his depression and resentment to people who desperately needed grace. So my question to you today is, do any of these three guys describe you? Moses was overworked, trying to do it all alone. He felt inferior. He took on guilt over things he couldn't control. Or how about Elijah, who was caught up in a martyr's complex because his eyes were not focused on God, but rather on his circumstances. He felt pursued and threatened, but God gave him a friend who would be a support to him. Or how about Jonah, a superior, smug man 
who was angry at God and who also had a judgmental attitude toward others. So whatever you're going through today, don't forget, God is for you, not against you. Romans 8.31. God's design isn't to make our lives miserable, but meaningful. And remember, God's solutions are far better than your solutions. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Well, I hope that's been an encouragement to you today. If it has, share it with a friend, screenshot the episode, share it on your social media platform. Be encouraged. God's solutions are far better than my solutions. Thanks for joining in. We'll see you next time.